0: This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 14, Evolution, Yes or No? Now this is obviously a huge question with lots of philosophical, scientific, theological content that will be difficult to cover in 15 minutes. And we're not really going to go into specific scientific detail because I'm not a scientist and wouldn't be doing it justice. But what we will be talking about is, in what respects is evolution acceptable? What does the church say about evolution? How much can we accept as Catholics? There's so much here that this will be the subject of this week's members only episode so if you're interested in hearing a more thorough discussion about this please check out my patreon to become a member now the first thing to be said is that in principle biological evolution is not incompatible with really any teaching of the faith if you look at saint augustine's work on the literal interpretation of genesis that's the title of it already in the fourth century saint augustine is talking about the possibility of God creating certain seeds of life and them developing over time. He articulates it in a number of ways, and it's certainly proposed as a theistic evolution, that is, evolution guided by God, that God's means of creation could have been this gradual, progressive development of creatures by God's design and guidance. There are other theologians that have proposed or accepted this. I think also in the realm of the Catholic tradition of science, Someone like Father Gregor Mendel, the father of genetics, who discovered the emergence of certain traits through crossbreeding in his experiments. Uh, he used plants, pea plants, but from him we get the terms recessive and dominant genes, etc. So he was a big contributor into our understanding of how certain species change or uh, adapt. So of course none of these ideas or opinions have ever been condemned by the church. The idea that God could have created in a way that allows for biological evolution and that the emergence of certain traits, advantageous traits, does happen in nature and can lead to certain developments over time. So there are a couple problems that the church does have with the current state of evolutionary theory. The first one is that most evolutionary scientists have a philosophical presupposition of materialism, and we talked about that in a previous episode, the belief that matter is all there is, and there is no transcendent reality, no spiritual reality, which of course would contradict the existence of an immortal soul. So the church is going to have a problem with that, of course, because it contradicts scripture, and because scientific materialism, in principle, can't be proven by science. So it's an unscientific, as well as an unorthodox or heterodox opinion to have regarding the faith and regarding the nature of humanity. So the Church's quarrel is with materialism as a philosophy, not evolution as a scientific explanation of certain biological phenomena. So basically the Church would say that biological evolution is acceptable up to a certain point, but it simply cannot account for the existence of the soul or the existence of transcendent or immaterial part of the human being. That's something that cannot develop out of matter. We touched on this a bit on the episode, Do We Have Immortal Souls? So if you haven't listened to that one, uh, go back and check it out for a little bit more on this. A second issue that we would have with evolution is not evolution, biological evolution per se, but kind of what's developed out of it, kind of evolutionism, which takes what seems to be a solid scientific theory that creatures develop over time, it takes it and expands it into philosophical claims about the world or about morality, that evolution has become such an entrenched position in the modern mind, that when people say, well, morals evolve, or history evolves, that people just assume that that also is proven, that evolution is the lens through which to view everything. And this is what's behind the belief that we mentioned in the last episode, that anything that comes later is better, you know, because we are in the 21st century, we are on the whole better than those who lived in the Middle Ages, that our morals are better because we have them and we are later in time. Therefore they have evolved and are superior. This is something that's an extrapolation from a biological theory to all of these sociological and cultural realms where there's no scientific proof of the existence of evolution. We may as well just call it devolution. So that's the danger of expanding biological evolution into all these other realms. It's kind of cloaked in a mantle of credibility because biological evolution is so widely accepted that people just accept that it also is the explaining factor of history and morals etc. So with those things in mind as long as biological evolution limits itself to the evidence of adaptation and evolution within species over time and doesn't make any claims about the nature of man as a whole. It can even be allowed to uh, explain the biological development of man's body, but of course has to be silent on the question of the soul because it has no competence in that area, has no ability to make any claims about the immaterial soul. And as long as evolution isn't expanded into other realms, like we said, of morals or history, then Christians are free to accept the evidence of biological evolution such as it is. In 1950, Pope Pius XII wrote an encyclical called Humani Generis, and I'll I'll post that on my Patreon. But there are two issues that he touched on. One is the evolutionary origin of the human body, and he said that was open to discussion among experts. And the other one was about polygenism, and that's the theory that contrary to the apparent meaning of Genesis, human beings actually descended from a number of different populations rather than from two original parents. That is called monogenism, the Christian belief that we are descended from two original parents, Adam and Eve. So monogenism versus polygenism is an issue that is still being discussed. Christians are not free as Christians to believe that Scripture was simply being metaphorical when talking about Adam and Eve. We're bound to believe the clear meaning of Scripture that we're descended from two original parents. Uh, Scripture is pretty clear on that, and the doctrine of original sin seems to necessitate that fact. It's not necessary that we believe that all of a sudden two people fully biologically formed as Homo sapiens appeared and that's how humanity began. The question is actually more nuanced than that and there is an explanation of monogenism that doesn't necessitate that description of things that poof, Adam and Eve just appeared and they were directly created by God, fully formed as they were. There are other explanations that allow a faithful adherence to scripture while also accounting for and accommodating the current scientific evidence and this is something that we'll go into in much more depth in the members episode but just very briefly there have been proposed solutions to this that man developed biologically to a a point where he had all of the organs and capacities that would allow for insoulment or the creation of the soul, for example, the development of the brain so that the rational soul could function in a body-soul combination that is man, but that there were many of such, we'll say, pre-rational Homo sapiens, pre-rational humans, and God directly insouled two of them, a male and a female. And then we had human beings who were persons for the first time that is with intellects and wills and not just the biological structure of a human being. But again, we'll go more in-depth into this theory in the extended episode. Another problem that's on the purely scientific level that gives us pause regarding uncritically accepting evolution as a theory is that there is a distinction within the theory of evolution, that is the distinction between microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution is just developments on a small scale, small genetic variations that are the result of mutations or of what they would call natural selection, you know, the survival of certain variations of a species so that their genetic code gets passed on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is, of course, plenty of evidence of this kind of adaptation and evolution within species, and this is predominantly what Darwin wrote about and recorded in his scientific observations. What's not nearly on such solid evidentiary footing is macroevolution. And this would be the evolution of species or genera from some common ancestor. If you look at you a know, Darwinian tree in science textbooks, it shows these lines from species up to some common ancestor, and one is led to believe that there's all this fossil evidence showing the progression, and that's just simply not the case. There's plenty of dispute among evolutionary biologists regarding this question of macroevolution a lot of people dissenting from the idea that macroevolution is strongly supported by fossil evidence so even evolutionary biologists and in fact even darwin himself towards the end of his life began to kind of pull back a little bit from his claims which he really just extrapolated from observing microevolution or genetic variation within for example, uh, species of birds, and then just kind of expanded that. And it's understandable to think, well, if this happens over a small period of time, then that's probably how all species developed. You know, there was some adaptation and then another one and then another one, and enough microevolution leads to macroevolution. And that was his claim, but that claim was never really backed up. But this is the reason for the common assumption in the modern mind that there was some kind of primordial goo that eventually developed into the rich variety of life that we have now. Because if you take this view of macroevolution, and then you are just tracing it backwards, you finally have to come to some common ancestor to all things, and it's just some kind of nondescript goo. Uh, But that of course is pure theory, pure hypothesis. And there are plenty of things that go against this theory. There's something called the Cambrian explosion in the fossil record that is about 500 million years ago in the Cambrian era. In the fossil record, there's just sudden appearance of all these complex life forms, fully developed species, and there's no fossil record previous to that showing their development to that state. It's just this sudden appearance of fully developed creatures. And Darwin hoped that later digging would kind of vindicate him, but he said it was the biggest weakness to his theory, the lack of evidence in the fossil record. There's also some other things that we don't have time to discuss here, but interesting quote from Darwin that we'll talk about in the other episode. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. So basically, this is something called irreducible complexity, that if there's some organ, all of whose parts have to be in existence at the same time for it to function, as an organ, then his theory would break down because it didn't develop through some kind of gradual modifications because all of its parts needed to be present. It's like having all of the parts of an engine. You can't have like a kind of engine with maybe pistons and some fuel and it continues existing on until it develops the other parts that it needs. No, in order for it to succeed in survival, it needs to have all of its parts at the same time and that's called irreducible complexity. And he said if that ever were to be found, his theory pretty much breaks down. So the the caveat that I put at the beginning of the episode, I'm no scientist. This is simply the fruit of my personal research and study and reading, but the primary concerns with evolution seem to be the philosophical ones. And that's where the church really has a problem because to summarize, evolution tends to, even though it doesn't necessarily have to, but tends to, it tends to be based on materialism, which is incompatible with Christian belief and also is unscientific because materialism can't be proven. It's a philosophical presupposition that one starts with. Also, there are the clear conflicts with uh, the Christian faith in taking evolutionism too far, as we said, claiming that morals evolve or that Man evolved as he is, purely out of material stuff. That's impossible in principle. There's also the issue of monogenism, which we must hold, which evolution claims to uh, eliminate entirely, even though, as I said, we'll talk about some of the ways to reconcile the faith and the current scientific evidence regarding the origin of humanity. So the important positive takeaways here are that there's no fundamental disagreement between biological evolution in its limited sense and the Christian faith. The conflict just comes about because of going beyond the evidence of evolution. But also, even if you take the most extreme position, which is that we all came from some primordial goo, you still don't get around the need for God. Atheist evolutionists try really, really hard to explain evolution as thoroughly as they can. But the simple response, even in the most elegant explanation of the development of all the rich variety of life from some common ancestor, even if it were proven to be true, you still don't have the answer to the question of where did that first thing come from? You know, evolution can't address that question, no matter how hard it tries to get rid of the idea of a creator or a intelligence behind the universe. It still can't escape that question of the first cause of the first thing that was. And also, it can't escape the language of intelligence and purpose that we see in the evolutionary process. I've mentioned before that evolutionary biologists still can't escape the language of design, even though they try. They talk about the aim of evolution, or natural selection, or the language of DNA. This is kind of just trying to have your cake and eat it too, in the sense of trying to get rid of the need for God, but also kind of slipping him in by using the language of intelligence or purpose in nature without giving any reason for such a thing. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. If these podcasts are helpful, please follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give a five-star rating, and also consider supporting the podcast by becoming a member at my Patreon. God bless.